Welcome to this episode of the Comedy Defect Podcast. My name is Winter, I'm a comedian, and this is my show. Those who are new to the show, welcome. Those who are old to the show, welcome back, guys. Now, I hope you're keeping cool in this hot weather. I'm going to do a very short intro because I am absolutely roasting in the room I'm recording this under duvets, under other things as well. So I hope you're doing all right for July and you're having nice barbecues and you are just kind of relaxing and getting ready for August and hopefully you're going to go on holiday. And you can find this podcast, we're on Facebook, we're there, we have a page, you can go to Twitter, you can follow me, at Winter Dominus, I'm also on Instagram, at Winter Dominus as well, that's Winter, D-O-M-I-N-U-S. Now if you like this podcast enough and you feel like you want to donate, just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defects Podcast, or donate as little or as much as you feel this podcast is worth. And if you can't donate, that's okay, just tell your friends about your favourite episode, or go to the podcast app and leave us a nice, honest review, because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. I'm not going to say any more because I'm absolutely sweltering as I'm recording this intro, so all I'm going to say is, please enjoy this excellent conversation with Charmian Hughes, who's a brilliant comedian and absolutely lovely person, for episode 88. Enjoy. Charmian Hughes, thank you for spending the next hour with me uh, on The Comedy Defect. How have you been? What have you been up to? Well, I've been fine, thank you very much. I've been doing a few Zoom gigs. Yeah. I've done a bit of online public speaking teaching, okay. which I did at the beginning. I've done some live gigs and I've just been pottering around. We adopted a dog in July, oh. so that's been really nice. Kept us outside. I think, um, what kind of dog did you get? He's a Labrador. He's, he's quite middle-aged. He's mm. a chocolate Labrador. Oh, brilliant. And he's been really sweet. Has he got like the square nose or the long nose? He's got a kind of square nose yeah. and he's um got a look of stupefaction he's very <laughs> sweet they are they're soppy as anything aren't they they're the best dog absolutely they're, gorgeous yeah they're standard aren't they really is you want a dog that just you can rely on and is always pleased to see you labrador that's it and, easy and he's going got, he's got quite fit he was a bit tubby when he arrived oh. but he isn't anymore i think he was he was snacking. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's a so he's a, like um. Would you get him from the rescue center? No, I got him through. Um, I got him directly from his owner through actually another comedian who met the guy, and you know heard his story and he'd been really well looked after, but it, he just couldn't cope anymore. Mm. You know, with circumstances and all this kind of stuff that's happening now. He needed to rehome him, so yeah. it worked out quite well. Oh well, that's it. You know, he's a uh, he's in fighting form now, by the sounds of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's people. Loads of people these this year have been getting dogs, so they can actually just leave the house and do something, isn't it? Really, they have. And uh, the the television is just kind of full of dog adoption programs, mm. and there's a lot of dog theft going on mm. as well. Uh, alarmingly, yeah. um, but because dogs go for like they used to go for like 800 quid and apparently they're going for thousands of pounds because people are so lonely and fed up. There's a market for everything, isn't there? Right? There's always yeah. a time. Thousands. I mean, the, yeah. when I was a kid in Ireland, like we get a dog for free from the local farmer. They go, as a Labrador or a cross with a collie slash everything else. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh God, they're now designer dogs, you know, Labradollies. And... Yeah. I saw a Caucasian the other day um, and I was like, this Indian family was walking this dog and I was like, walking mine, I've got a Labrador and I've got a Husky 
I was walking with them past this big fluffy thing. And I said, and I asked the guy, I said, what is that? You know, and he said, oh, it's a Caucasian. I thought that he was uh, just uh, trying to you know, pull on my leg. And I was like, <laughs> and what is that? What does that stand for? It, I, it's a, the... a Russian dog that used in the prisons. And they're okay. so big. They're like, they're bear um, killers sort of thing. You know, they're like oh. protect like the, the cattle, I guess. And, and uh, they use them in, I say, in the prisons for so guard dogs and, you know, protection and stuff. Yeah. But they're, they're huge. They're, they are, they're just such a, 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 weirdly, you know, you get into these mad conversations with um, people who deliver takeaway to the door. There's one guy um, was delivering this, uh, <laughs> irrelevant details coming, <laughs> this chicken, this chicken um, <laughs> stuff that we got from the chicken roosters down the road. And we got this, uh, this stuff anyway. And he was handing it over and he was like oh yeah he got dogs I said yeah yeah and he said I've got a Caucasian I was like well okay the guy the other Asian guy wasn't pulling my leg about the dog being called a Caucasian and yeah. he said that he just does the deliveries and stuff we got talking for like about five minutes he was saying that he does the deliveries to help out his brother who owns the shop and his real job is a um, he he he's like a a scientist who works with um, like oncology uh, specimens and he uses the the dog is so big and the bones are so dense for that dog that he can they can do um, they test with them you know and like he has he feeds them I said because I said to him how do you feed that dog it's huge that they're like at least like maybe 13 14 stone of dog you know they're huge and he said oh yeah well I mean because well, of my work in in like you know physio with bones and and I'm a scientist and all this that it pays for that you know and they, they're part of the the whole thing I said like, wow that's amazing you know don't don't not feed that dog though <laughs> oh god yeah wow it's incredible and so have you been okay i've been all right sure i mean i've just been uh kind of just doing more trying to do something else and doing a few gigs here and there but like i did a couple of, of live gigs um like as zoom gigs and i just didn't i didn't feel it to be honest Very it was forced it felt you know and as i said to you before when i asked you to do the podcast i said um, I don't really like the video version. For me, it just seems all very forced and, and just kind of, oh, we're having such a great time, we can't really actually have a proper interaction, you know? I've found that my Zoom gigs, I've addressed them that I sit in an armchair now and it's like oh. something from Tales tales of, of Mystery and Imagination mm. in that you know, it's more like storytelling because mm. you're only seen from the chest up. You can't move around very much. Yep. That's right. So you've yeah. and it's working for you. Then you're enjoying you're enjoying them now. You've got to find found the the I'm kind okay. of okay now that I've tried not to replicate the stand up experience. Yeah, and I've got got to um do my Edinburgh show, which didn't go to Edinburgh. It went to New Zealand, mm. where I was caught up in the lockdown. So that all kind of I could do some gigs, but I couldn't do the rest of it. Mm. Got stuck a bit. But now I'm doing the show that missed out on one of their festivals at seven o'clock in the morning to be beamed into a live theatre on a screen wow. as part of the New Zealand Dunedin Festival in March. That's great. So it's going to be very weird. Yeah, seven in the morning as well. Wow. I'm working out the the technology of it. I mean, I think that it's going to require a bit more than me sitting in a chair looking mysterious. Yeah. I need to run around a bit. Are you going to use um, like PowerPoint as well or what are you going to do? I'm not I'm not sure. I'm gonna liaise with them. At first they thought it was just something we could do on a phone. I think that I kind of feel I want to build a little set or even even start it in my pajamas. Yeah. And kind of embrace the strangeness of the whole thing. 
those Zoom gigs, they feel like a, a whole movie that's gone on way too long. Um, you know, it's it's such a, you know, like, oh, I've just found this thing. Oh, the, it's, it's such a weird thing, you know, and uh, to kind of try do. and keep I attention. I think short and sweet. And when people book me for Zoom gigs and they say, you yeah, could you do 35 minutes, say no one wants to see someone doing 35 minutes yeah, that's on right. Zoom. You want to see lots of different people doing about... 15, that's it. A selection for sure. You couldn't go to New Zealand because of the lockdown and everything. No, I was. I oh, was you were in, in there. New Zealand, right. yeah. I, it, it's the fourth time I've been. And right from the first mention of the mysterious virus, mm. you know, in January, I had a feeling about it. I had such a feeling about it that I wanted to change my flight provider because I was going through Hong Kong and I said, oh my God, Hong Kong mm. is going to be so bad. It never occurred to me that the danger was not going to be Hong Kong, mm. but the UK. So when I flew out, there were very few cases in the UK and there was like one case, I think in New Zealand, maybe not even one, five days in, the panic started the pandemic was announced and of course new zealand you know they shut down and yeah. when they shut down i mean they shut down they did it in stages mm. so you it, that was even more nerve-wracking because you knew that you were like in phase one and it mm. could go into phase two but when they locked down you were given two days notice that wherever you were at five o'clock mm. in the afternoon of ground zero day yeah you had to stay there you okay. couldn't go. And I had a thing where the friends I normally stayed with, they had an elderly landlady. Mm. So I was meant to stay and she didn't want me to stay. Oh. She was scared. Yeah, and there course. was a moment when I thought I was going to be stuck like for months in the airport Ibis Hotel yeah. waiting for any flight out because all the flights cancelled, all the interim airports shut down. You have to fuel, obviously, when you go from New Zealand to anywhere because mm. it's so far away. And eventually I was rescued by like, through Facebook, through a friend, you know, just putting out a, an appeal and a friend of a friend, she had like a kind of ranch thing in yeah. Auckland and she had a, a wing where I could kind of be oh. separate because we, at the time we thought it was like the bubonic plague. Of course, yeah. It was so, everyone was so paranoid and frightened. And so I went there, but after like a day, we, we mellowed out a bit mm -hmm. and relaxed a bit more and it was a bit more normal, but I mean, thank God for her. Oh, wow. It sounds incredibly stressful. I'm, I'm making it sound dramatic, Winter, but actually I, I was able to fly home like six days later. But oh, I didn't good. know that at the time. No, you don't know how long it's going to you last. You're right. I mean, it, because it, there was a whole, there was like a Facebook group or a Twitter group mm. of Brits stuck in New Zealand. And um, I was part of that. And we did what the British do, which is complain and also kind of furnish a panic, add fire to the flames yeah. or fuel even so that someone would say, I managed to book a flight. And somebody else would say, it won't happen. And um, <laughs> it got a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. that's it. It was like, okay at the end. A bit I got people home. trying to steal your hope every every every, yeah. oh. every turn you take. Like, oh, wow. And it was like a creeping feeling, the realisation oh. of going from a bit, not a joke, but kind of being a bit winsome about the whole thing to mm. thinking, God, I could actually be stuck here forever. And like back home afterwards, people said, you're so lucky to have been trapped in New Zealand. It must be so wonderful. Mm. And New Zealand is the most wonderful place. But anywhere is the same when you're stuck in a room. Yeah. I was a bit worried. but That's it, of course. And then coming back to London, um, that was like uh, the right at the beginning of April. And it was like 
it was like a moonscape, a, a ghost mm. town. And, yeah. And I did think, you know, the bubonic plague is breathing down my neck, but um, I've calmed down quite a lot since then. Yeah. I just got on with life really That's well. That's it. Taking sensible precautions. Yeah, that's it, you know. Like, I mean, like, I guess usual, really, isn't it? You know, just don't kind of lick your hands after you've touched something outside. Yeah. <laughs> tried not to. I've tried not to. It's really hard. It is hard. Um, but <laughs> licking windows and everything. Um, but, like, so your uh, your show you're going to do at 7 o'clock in the morning, what's that called? Well, it's called She. Right. And it was a show that I took to New Zealand that mm. um, kind of wrote just before Christmas yeah. and I don't know if you've ever seen a 1960s kind of rather trashy adventure film that was called She right? and it was taken from a Ryder Haggard novel it's rather inspired by you know the mummy or the e- mysterious ancient Egypt films it's hmm. about a mysterious lost land in the desert and it's ruled by an immortal queen right. who's played by Ursula Andress and the film, uh, the, the show, rather, was kind of inspired by seeing that as a child mm. and getting the wrong ideas about relationships. So it's, I don't know how many people had heard of the film, but they didn't really need to. Is it like a horror she, film? Pardon? Is it a horror film of its time? It is a horror film. It's a hammer horror film. Oh, great. Um, Brilliant. But it's, the horror is about this immortal woman mm. When she loses her immortality, she suddenly becomes very, very old very quickly and goes back to her 2,000-year-old kind of state, which is a skeleton. And that's the horror. The horror, more than, you know, mummies and throwing people down burning pits and all that kind of stuff. The horror is is the beautiful woman deteriorating. Mortality. Yeah. Wow. That is uh, that is that is the thing we ignore all the time, isn't it? Hey. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's it's kind of like seeing that as a child, and also it's a, about my sister growing up with a very beautiful sister. It's a study in jealousy, hmm. jealousy, obsession, and revenge. All oh, right. Okay. Cool. Well, that's it. so seven o'clock in the morning on uh, seven o'clock in the morning. It's comedy. And it's <laughs> a horror. It's comedy. Oh, it also also yeah. features. Um, a stand-up appearance from the Colossal Squid. Okay. Um, so I do have a moment of being a Colossal Squid doing stand-up. Oh, great. So, yeah, we did the gig um, at um, in the Fisheries Wharf Cafe and you closed that gig and it was... I loved watching you. It was just so fun to watch you on stage, Charmian. You were, oh. like, just... You were just, like, such a... Just a, a warm, just just a ball of energy up there and it was like a Aww. and I say we're like a very uh, just a happy clown you know it's great well um, my background's in clowning so I'm glad you said that oh, that's how I started by uh, when I had an office job I found myself going to clown school once a week just to meet new people thought I might meet a bloke or something oh yeah um in my 20s but eventually I met my husband in my stand-up comedy audience so it worked out in the end because I've, I've read your bio and it says, you know, you went to Philip Gullier school and theatre to complicate. Philip Gullier, he's like the, the the really fashionable French clown that lots lots of really brilliant people have been to. And they go to, to study with him in Paris. Hmm. I have to say that I studied with him in Deptford for a week. He came over <laughs> and I did his week's course. But he's a very arrogant man. Oh, yeah. And it was lots of money. And basically... Every time it was my go to get up and try something, he'd just go mad, mad. And the translator would say, Philippe says you are shit. (laughs) Sit down. 
<laughs> I mean, that translator seems a little bit redundant there, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you feel me? Oh, wow. That's it. Just a double. So two people are calling you shit. That's just great. Yeah, Thanks for absolute, that. Absolute for 800 quid. Oh, wow. Oh, God. You look a little bit cl- clownish, like very clown-like anyway, you know? Oh, good. I mean, which is great. I mean, like, that, they, but like when I went to this clown course, I saw all these people coming in and they looked with before makeup like clowns. And I was like, oh, I don't look like any of these people. And I was like, okay. And then so when I was doing the stuff, I could feel that everyone was like, I know this guy's totally not getting it. This is this is the thing. You had to make a jumper, become a dog. And it was like, this is just a jumper for me. <laughs> oh, did you do lots? It sounds like you, you were quite keen. I, I tried it. Just I wanted to see how far I could get with it. And it just for me, it was it just didn't. It, I'm, I was too, I'm too cerebral. It was like, I just yeah. couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't let go in, and get into that imaginary world. Maybe I, I could maybe give it more more goes, but it was just for me. I just like to. It's, I like I, the words. I, th- I think that it's a very good place to um, to learn to be on stage mm. without really having very much and being yeah. happy to be there and to be playful with the audience. And I think that's a really good mm. thing to get out of clowning. But I, after I did my clowning, I'd never heard of stand-up comedy. I mean, I had, it was like Working Man's Club, Jim Davidson mm. on the telly, but I didn't ever kind of see anything that was quite youthful or felt to me real or connected to me. I, mean, I didn't really know very much about stand-up comedy, but I did, we formed like a little clown troupe called mm. Frantic Antics. And it was the days of the GLC, you know, the London Council. And they, had, mm. they were against Thatcher, so they spent lots of money to thwart her on the arts. So there were loads of clowning gigs, loads. Mm. We made so much money Great. for a bit. But I wanted to get out of the script mm. and talk and do more stuff. And I found that very frustrating. And I probably frustrated my you know, other company members because they always went to do juggling and acrobatics. I was really crap at all that. And then when I first saw my first stand-up, which was so close at the time to storytelling, you know, in the 80s, I just thought that's what I want to do. Mm. I really want to do that. I want to be able to talk, but have that connection that a clown has where you're in the moment. Projecting the joy into the audience of like what you're experiencing right now, isn't it? And connecting with everyone in the room. Although, having said that, in the new show I've done, I've kind of connected much more with my darker Mm. self. Well, I try to. I want to be dark and sophisticated, but (laughs) it still comes out as really silly. (laughs) You can can only be what you can be, is it? But I I do think that that all this sort of um, isolation and uh, frustration at the moment is causing a lot of uh, dark humour to, you know, evolve within Um, time. Definitely. And I just notice, you know, there's so much activity from comedians Mm. on... Facebook, I see some people really coming into their own and mm. being funny in a dark way that I've never seen in their act. You think, bloody hell, when everything goes back to normal, that person's going to be a genius. Yeah. But I also think, I don't know if you find this, I've done so much overthinking. I can kind of connect with Robinson Crusoe or of just being so introspective. You know, I've had so much self-doubt. Like, I, I mean, I've got a gig this week hopefully going ahead and I'm thinking how can I go on stage and who who is that person who goes on stage and is funny because at the moment I feel like a woman you know in a house in Peckham your identity is missing. With a cup just, of tea. Wow. Yeah, it's whereas that, that that's, you feel like there's no momentum to your 
you know your your ambition your drive there's no drive no. there is there's drive there i mean that's the wrong word but it's like there but it's like it's inert it's just you know it's yeah. at a yeah like the the thing is it's lovely when you've got like loads of gigs in your diary to go right i'm gonna go to that i'm gonna do that i'm gonna do that right i'm inspired to write new stuff okay that's and it's it creates and accelerate yeah and you you're into a momentum mm. where you build up and build up exactly. i've never had a break like this even when i had i mean when i had children i was you know i was i was back on stage two weeks later well like when would you do your first gig then Sharmin? Well, the first one, I have had uh, a couple. In fact, I went up to, as soon as the first lockdown softened and you're allowed to do stuff, I did an outdoor one up in Cheshire. Mm. I went all the way up just because I wanted to get on stage. Yeah. I mean, it was paid, but, you know, not really enough to go to Cheshire. Mm. Um, and so I've done a couple, but this one, it's after a long break. So much stuff was cancelled, yeah. you know, earlier this last month. It is in Reading. And hopefully it's gonna, you know, happen. Uh, like your opinion on the on the lockdown and everything. Do you really, do you think that it's it's a hyperbole, or do you think that it's 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 de- for sure a deadly serious thing that we should all continue to, you know? Well, bubble? I what I think is that this is a situation that no one really thoroughly understands, and so I waver between thinking it's like the we're in a like black death situation mm. to we're in a kind of common cold, not common, well, yeah, even so. some people are very, I think there's a lot of magical thinking going on. And I'm one of those people who's kind of like, well, of course, you know, if I got anything, it would be very slight because I'm such a good person or, you know, I eat my vegetables. And I think mm. this magic, we have no idea. And I think that if we did have an idea, there'd be more kind of consistency in the way that different countries have handled it. And it seems to have not had that much impact. You, know, you talk about, oh, we should have had an earlier lockdown. Mm. And you look at countries, you know, like Italy, I think, and they had, you know, terrible time, not as terrible as ours. And I think the difference with Italy is that they have their old people living in their community. And so they were able to see people being taken away in ambulances, you know, attached yeah. to oxygen. And we shut most of ours away in old people's homes. Yeah, and so we don't see it. And I don't know. I know people who, um, are, you know, quite fit people who hmm. be, you know, be very poorly. But I have to say, you know, we're going to lockdown tier three on Wednesday. Oh, right. I personally, except people saying, I think I had it. I think I had it. Hmm. Personally, within my circle... I don't know anyone who has. Lots of people obviously have. I don't know. I don't know. And I'd be very interested to see what history makes of it. We're able to analyse the data. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, what what gets me is the fact that, like, I mean, when has the government ever really cared about the people itself, really? Is it? They don't really care about us that much you know it's like well no. and it's like this and then, and then of course when they released the, the first vaccine it was like oh pfizer uh is you know his has we, we, we've signed a waiver that if anyone has any um bad uh reaction to this first yeah. <laughs> this first um uh was it the first shot if you like yeah. can't be sued it's not our fault you know just we've rushed it and then the trouble with that of course is that normally they take years and years and years to yeah. be tested but you know people don't want to have that time and i think the general population has said you know they want to take that risk and with the allergic thing i mean like there are there are poisons and awful things in like most of this stuff and mm. i'm sure that there are loads of reactions I'm a bit of an old hippie, you know, I do a bit of, 
I try and avoid having antibiotics and all that kind of mm. stuff. My first resort would always be to take something homeopathic, even though I'm not absolutely sure that it's shit. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I think even if it's a placebo, it's yeah. somehow I'm informing my body, giving yeah. my body kind of like the instructions. Mind, mind body. So yeah. I'm not really, um, and there are lots, um, because I post middle age. And so in my, as a child, there weren't, you know, lots of the things that they have now were not developed. So for instance, I never, because of the timing, you know, I never had measles or MMR jab or anything like that, but I had the original one, you know, the smallpox and diphtheria and all that. Mm. And so I've kind of, there's no stage in my life. I thought I must have those things. I'm older. I, I've had a lot of childhood diseases. Mm. I seem to have muddled through, but I think that whatever you know, people think about that, you know, with the MMR and all that stuff, is that we're used to those diseases. We've treated those illnesses when we've had them, whether you think they're, you know, mild or severe, mm. we've got kind of history. Whereas somewhere like South America, you know, when the Spanish or whoever was took measles to South America, they decimated everybody. Mm. And I think it's that unknown that Sometimes, you know, when I go through my extremes of thinking, yo-yoing between extremes, you think, mm. well, supposing, not that COVID was a biological weapon, but supposing they were like messing around with bats in the lab and, you know, someone got infected and then it cross-transmitted to something else. Those are things that human beings would not encounter in the wild. Maybe mm. we're not able to cope with it i don't know i don't mm, know to know it's, it's just it's, that's the thing fear of the non, unknown isn't it that and i don't know they're just harnessing it and locking us down i don't know i just always think there's something else going on that you know we just can't can't you see think of new zealand who have had that huge lockdown mm. but they can't have anybody coming to new zealand until there's a vaccine you know we could all have i've got an antibody certificate so they're not going to yeah. let anybody in because they've had no exposure and at the same time, they got rid of it. And every so often it pops up because viruses just go round and round and round. And yeah. sometimes I suppose they burn themselves out, like something like over the centuries, like, yeah. you know, scarlet fever, which was a killer. But I think it's meant to be something very mild now. And so, yeah. I, you know, how are we going to get the confidence? I don't know. It's, yeah. it, it's a weird thing. Um, but, but the thing is, it's like trying to stop the sun rising. It's going to pop up. We're trying to fight nature. You know, without being if, too cheesy. If it's, na if it's nature, but if it's not nature, mm, I mm. mean, if 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 it was something that gave people terrible boils yeah. and blood coming out of their ears, like Ebola or you something, you know, we would react. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, and that's why I think in Italy, that's why I'm saying about in Italy, where they've seen it in their communities, in their villages, you know, their old grannies and everything, mm. and pe and it's really easy to get into a mentality of thinking, oh, you know, they're eighty or they're ninety. They might be eighty or ninety and you know, gone on and on and on forever. I don't mm -hmm. know. Or or not. Is this something that are they the people that would have been knocked out by anything? Yeah. Or are they the people who who are kind of immune yeah. to most stuff? And this I think it'd be very interesting. I hope, you know, I'm around in twenty years time or whatever, when they have the answers because I and like with Spanish flu, I remember what happened with that? Did mm. it, the pe people did have to lock down and wear masks and stuff, and it killed loads of people. Yeah, that's true. Um, at the same time as finding all, you know, a complete bore, I do find it absolutely fascinating. And mm. I'm in a very touch with lucky position mm. in that, you know, my husband, he's just 
take an early retirement but he you know up until now he's had a job haven't had to worry about not doing comedy yeah. financially haven't had to worry about Brilliant. it so i know that i'm in a really privileged position That's there. It. and that means you think something's going on what do you think's going on think i just think I, I don't know i just think there's like what we are why why is the government caring about us um, and like just going, oh, well, you know, look out because really it's not in their interest really to, you know, we're getting overpopulated. There's, you know, we need to kind of the, the, the environment is on the way out, really. It feels that we're losing the fight with that. And it doesn't um, for, for me, it just it just I don't understand why the government would care about the doesn't really care about the individual. You know, it just mm. is like, oh, you know, what's, what, what's going on underneath the all this sort of like fake caring about everybody? Oh, you know, we care, we care about you. No, no, they don't. They just they... I like that about you're absolutely right. And I do did suspect that given a disease mm. which takes out the economically yeah. unviable, you know, that I think at the beginning, maybe they were thinking this is a cow. But mm. as soon as it, it went outside that public opinion, I suppose they had to act but mm. to me the real crime is the carpet bagging that's been going on giving contracts to totally unqualified people you know mm. with the pp mm. even with the distribution of the vaccine they've got it's like somebody up north has suddenly given one of his guys he's turned him into the vaccines off i think why not give the responsibility of that to people who know what they're doing and have been you know, organising programmes like that for the last hundred years. Have you managed to write a good COVID joke, Charmaine? Oh, I have, actually. Well, (laughs) one thing that's great is I do a new material Zoom thing with some other comedians every Monday. And uh, I've been working on some of that today. It's actually, uh, because it's it's actually on my computer, which is under the uh, Zoom. But I've been writing stuff about, you know, the Stay, Stay Station, yeah. The summer hol- the summer holidays that we were made to have in this country and it, it oh, yes, vacations. lit spirit. Yeah. But I feel that as I had a childhood in the sixties and seventies, I feel like a sleeper agent who's come into action. Yeah. I'm very experienced in this kind of hardship of being on the beach and shouting, you know, put that shell down. It's yeah. left over from World War Two. Rationing yes. as well. Rationing toilet roll. Rationing, um, rationing yeah. of avocados. <laughs> Doing uh, sexual sexual favors for bog rolls, <laughs> and uh, like so, like Sharon, how many shows have you written? Full shows, I think about twelve. Wow. The first one I ever did on my own in the Edinburgh was called Greyfriars Bobby Speaks to the World, and it was a stand-up show. And I took my then dog with me. He was just sat on stage licking his bollocks all the way through. <laughs> But it was my favourite show, actually. The only thing is that, of course, it didn't occur to me that that would attract children. Oh, how funny. Because they think it was a children's show. It was on yeah. nine o'clock at night. And I had to turn them all away. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised. How did he lick his, his ball? He licked his balls for the entire, was it 15 minute show? Well, he, 15 minutes. He licked them all. He'd then yawn or he'd start oh. whining to go out. Oh, funny. He used to just do whatever he wanted. That's great. That's great. That's brilliant. Yeah. So that your so your first show was your favourite show. Um, it was brilliant. Yeah, it was good That's... fun. And at the time, I didn't realise how good it was mm. and how moderately successful it was. In that mm. people, lots of people came to see it, and it was at the Greyfriars Kirk House. And I only did ten days. It was mad. I don't. I wish you know, afterwards I realised I should have done the three weeks. 
it was really good fun and then I had my first baby like a year later so I couldn't go back to Edinburgh for about 14 years so wow that's a, that's a good break then so were you were you writing in between that time as well or? yeah I was doing stand-up yeah um but I just couldn't go off for the whole of summer you know for the yeah. whole of August mm. and I had helpful grandparents and stuff like that I just they were too young and by the time they were about 12 you know I could do that a bit mm. a bit more it was just too stressful of course that's it in August is like everyone's gone holiday then as well and it's you know yeah. it's time every, summer's fun summer yeah. is such fun and then of course you know, the last 10 years I've gone to Edmund and I feel you know, I spend the whole of August in a place where the temperature drops it's often you know overclouded mm and overcast for the, it, it's afraid you're, you're moving yourself from the summer yeah it's true um, it's, and it's quite strange this year to spend august in london yeah. and we did go away a bit we went to norfolk oh nice we went visiting when we were allowed and it was good fun it's weird isn't it having that month off i mean my birthday's in august as well and oh. it's like it's weird to kind of like um just be at home with the family on my birthday <laughs> you know, mm. I was like oh this is nice I'm having a barbecue okay this is how you how other people live in August okay it's good um, and you've got you've got children I've got two yeah got, I yeah. remember this yeah and uh, one's 15 just gone and the other one is 21 in January wow yeah so uh, wow. yeah fun times let's see it's a couple more years three more years <laughs> I know. well I've got all you think that yeah. you think that but mine are all at home at the moment oh yeah yeah. Oh, that's it. But it's nice to have them around, isn't it? 22 and 24. Oh, wow. You know, well, one's partially home and the other's home. Especially nowadays, they can't afford to escape. This is true. Mm. And so when was your, what was your first joke you wrote, ever wrote, Charmaine? Oh, the first joke. I yeah. used to do visual jokes. Mm-hmm. And the first one as a clown that I did was I, I said I was going to do a bit of performance art. It was called My Orgasm, A Woman's Story. And I did a huge warm up for it, you know, humming and shaking my hands. And then I did a kind of mime thing with my eyes popping out. And then I brushed down the front of my clothes and said, oh, you bastard. You had to see it, really. <laughs> yeah. You were clowning and your first gig was uh, for, for who? who? What was the, where I was that? one of my first gigs mm. was for the Tunnel Palladium at, uh, which was, you know, like a bare pit of a place. That's a tunnel club, the, the famous yeah, tunnel club. the tunnel wow. club. And yeah. I used to do open spots there. The first gigs I did were the tunnel downstairs at the King's Head, which when it's open, I compare a lot nowadays, the banana. And there was a gig in... Highgate called the Earth Exchange, hmm. which was a vegetarian restaurant. You got partially paid in food. That was very exciting. Are you a vegetarian still? I um do eat fish, but I don't eat lobster. <laughs> but why? Well, because um I've decided that the, some lobster when they're fished, I sound terribly privileged and weight crazy here, saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that that lobster, some of them are kind of like seventy-year-old gentlemen, oh, wow. yeah, and they're having like a family life down in the sea yeah. with their grandchildren and big wise and intelligent, loyal yeah. lobsters. And then somebody gets them in a basket, yeah. and they're incredibly difficult to get meat out of. You have you need so many instruments, and what a waste of a life to die for that to be nibbled at. Yeah. So no way. That's no fair. More lobster. Mm. Okay, crayfish. 
maybe, maybe. <laughs> so yeah, um, and you've written twelve shows. What was the one you were like? Oh God, I hate this show. What is the one I? Well, or I really uh, or dislike it. I wish I had never started this. Uh, well, <laughs> the, I did a show. I think that what happens is you do a really good show mm-hmm. that you love. And think I'd love to do the show again, but I'm not allowed. I have to write a new show, mm. which is ridiculous. You should be touring it and developing it. And so I did a show I really liked, and then I had to come up with something the next year. So, so I, I I did a show called Soissons Mirth, which was when I turned sixty, and that was a mm. show I took to New Zealand. It was in Edinburgh. I took it to New Zealand, and then I took it back to Edinburgh, where it went to the stand, and I absolutely loved that show. Yeah. And then when New Zealand said, you know, come back again, but with a new show, like that had to be written like very quickly because Edinburgh finishes in August and you go to New Zealand in February. So I did a show called Bra Trek yeah. and it sounds wonderful. The yeah. title was fantastic. I had the most wacky kind of Star Trekky kind of costume. Oh, brilliant. And I had bras, but yeah. it was about three different concepts in one show, I should have stuck to one idea. When I was on stage, I was getting bored and losing oh. interest, but thinking I've just got to keep going, I've got to keep yeah. going. And I did kind of rewrite it on the hoof, mm. but to correct it, I would have had to just do the whole thing from scratch. I didn't have time. There are lots of bits that I've got great jokes that I still use from it. I had, it was, they had such high concepts mm. and that's the trouble. Because I'm a comedian, I'm a stand-up comic, I'm not a philosopher. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I got possessed by this idea that I, you know, I had all these great ideas that I had to, to inflict on my audience about, you know, fairy tales and how we're imprisoned by them. Now that's a whole show. And then bras, how we find the right one. And the thing is that loads of people came to see it because it had such a great title. When you hear that title, Bra Trek, you think somebody's going to be pissing around on stage. It's going to be like Panto. And that's exactly what it should have been like. It was like War and Peace. And that's the one I like the least. Oh, it rhymes uh, as well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, was it? T- I could probably gut it and come out with three whole new things oh. without trying very hard. It sounds great, though. It does really sound great. The imagery of that Bradrick. Oh, the poster oh, was amazing. Oh. When I went to New Zealand to mm. do it, and it was really so I could, you know, go on my holidays mm. for money. That's it's getting something together so quickly. And I'd had all these great reviews in New Zealand. I think they were a bit kind of, what is she doing? But I discovered in New Zealand that there's a whole kind of 10-mile fence covered in bras in the middle of the wilderness, and no one knows how they got there. Yeah. And so I can't, they thought the show was going to be about that, and oh. I'd never heard of it. Oh, damn it. And so, so I then had to write all that in. Mm-mm. I mean, it was just very top-heavy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> I should go back to it. Uh, uh, that's great. Okay, with well, with that show, what was the that okay? You didn't you had to come back to it and, and rehash it? You got some stuff out of it. You when you first started stand up, who who did you kind of go? Okay, love that person on stage, and uh, I would love to well, be like that. When I first started doing stand up, there were lots of people who aren't around and at the moment. You know, who were really successful at the time, mm. went on to do other things. And there were a couple of women, Kit Hollaback. Um, and she started the Comedy Store Players, mm. and I used to go to her workshops. She used to do improvisation workshops mm. on a Saturday afternoon. 
in the comedy store and it was so amazing so you'd go to the old comedy store and there'd still be cigarettes in the ashtray mm. from the midnight show the night before and all of us were thinking one day i would tread yeah. these boards and she was really great i mean she was so slick and mm. very american because she was american mm. and we hadn't really seen anything like that i loved her jenny lacote another woman um she was really good and you know people like jeremy hardy or and Paul Merton, mm, yeah. they were all there there when I first started. Yeah, they were all very successful already, and yeah. um, that was fantastic. Amazing. So, uh, uh, Bill Bailey, when he was in his double act, The Rubber Bishops, and of course he's doing so fantastically. Bloody hell! Yeah. Strictly Come Dancing. Have you been watching that? Winter? No, not at all. Not at all. He, I don't watch any of that. But he is. He's like a. He's like. He's like Margot Fontaine. Right out there doing the dancing yeah yeah so wow. and so yes. like you're were you in a double act yourself or was it you just i like... have been in a few double act. i was in an improvisation trio mm. uh called the pointless sisters oh yeah in the 90s and we were very successful for you know for what we were doing everybody wanted to book us it was that dream you know when your phone never stops yeah. ringing yeah. to do gigs but if you do improvisation or if you do a double act you've got to accept the privilege of doing that and mm. psychologically and i was so immature i think mentally at the time all i could think of was i'm not getting these kind of phone calls for my act you know oh, i'm not getting yeah. these and and you get jealous of yeah. yourself <laughs> and no. competitive for yourself and i was full of seething resentment <laughs> for the success that i was having as an improvisation thing in the Pointless Sisters. And the thing is, we were all feeling it, oh, all that's... three of us. Wow. And, and the others were very good comedians. And we kind of, it kind of exploded. We should have just, I, I'm now, I've learned so much about um, taking opportunities, mm -hmm. understanding the privilege of success, that when, that it can be a really easy thing yeah. and not to be suspicious of it when yeah. that happens. So I did another thing. Uh, called Elven Bitch, which was huh. with Hester from the... Have you heard of the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain? No. They're very successful world-touring ukulele wow. orchestra. And Hester from it, we became friends. She's a fantastic musician. And we did this thing for fun called Elven Bitch, where we were elves who'd escaped from Lord of the Rings yeah. in order to do rock and roll. And... I played the toy accordion and she played the ukulele and it was like heavy rock. It was incredibly stupid. She was very, very busy with the ukulele orchestra. They were so successful that we couldn't really do that much stuff. Yeah. But like Glastonbury, who I, I get booked quite a lot by Glastonbury, Brilliant. but I always have to kind of beg them. Hmm. But Elven Bitch, oh my God, they couldn't get enough of us. We you know, were comparing, yeah. we were doing oh. sets. And one year we just we we decided to do a different thing. We called ourselves the Panini Sisters. Yeah. We wore nightdress, Victorian nightdresses, and false moustaches. Yeah. And we had no material, and <laughs> we went down absolute storm. Brilliant. And it's the same thing. Thinking this can't be very good because we haven't suffered enough to yeah. create it. That's it. But that that was really good fun. But then Hester had a baby, and she moved out of London. Oh. And then I did something else with Sheila Hyde who was in the original Pointless Sisters. We did mm. a kind of adult comedy show, but it was very clowny. Um, that was really good fun. The trouble is when you work with someone else, I find, is that you're not ready at the same time to do things. So the, the thing I did with Sheila, The Lost Resort, you know, I was ready 
to take it to Edinburgh straight away. Mm. And she wasn't ready because, you know, she was in a different position. She had she had a job, mm. you know, she had many more kind of stringent commitments. Whereas yeah. I kind of was like, you know, didn't really have that. And that was one, I think that was quite a missed opportunity because it was a fantastic, it was like we ran away to an island, we met King Kong. I mean, we're 50 year old women doing yeah. this. So I've done a bit of that, but I realized that with double acts, you've got to be reading from the same page yeah. in terms of what you want and your commitment, because it's incredibly frustrating. When I was rehearsing while in the hours that my children were at school, at primary school, mm. and if other people aren't having to do that, they don't understand how incredibly precious that time is and how you want to use it as efficiently as possible. Yeah. And so I kind of felt quite pissed off because I felt a lot of the time my time was being wasted, but it, it wasn't really, it was just different circumstances that I didn't have that much time. And also feeling you've got to go for things mm now when you're feeling it it yeah. doesn't have to be more good and i really believe that in with shows and with comedy and with material or if you're writing something for radio is submit it while you're feeling enthusiastic yeah don't wait for it to be perfect by the time it's perfect it will be dead in the water that's right you that's can perfect it. it later and i worked with one perfectionist and mm. with one person who was a, i'm a bit of a it'll do kind of person yeah and somebody who was kind of a bit more like it'll do. Mm. And there's a compromise between the two. Perfectionism does not get you anywhere. That's right. That's right. You I never don't think start. so. Maybe that, but no. not that I've got anywhere, but I no. just think you have to, while you're feeling that creativity and mm -hmm. that love and you can sell it, do it. And I, that's one of the things I've learned about comedy is if I watch a lot of comedy, I can see a comedian who's got much better jokes than another comedian. Yeah. But the other comedian will be much funnier because they've got that thing. You want to watch them. You want to know. Mm. You've, you, you are, you've invested some way in them personally. And that, again, being a perfect comedian you, or having perfect jokes might not be fun, as funny as imperfection. That's but sad. I'm still trying to find all that out. That's interesting. That's really yeah. it's like what I love is the fact that when you first you had you were in your you know your, your trio at the beginning and like they were like they were la they were enjoying and it, you all had felt the same thing. They weren't you weren't appreciated as a one as an individual. <laughs> I love that. I love how that. stupid is that? And the other <laughs> thing is my now husband, when he was my boyfriend, he said he just couldn't believe how stupid I was sometimes. I used to compare the circus space. They used to have these amazing cabarets, circusy cabarets, and you know it was absolutely packed out. And again, it's I think it's having a. I had such a chip on my shoulder about my own work that I'd be kind of well, it's not really stand up, is it? Comparing eight hundred people in a it's not really, is it? And then yeah. after one of the times I compared, a woman came up to me and she said. I'm a producer from Radio 1. Will you ring me up? I'd really love it if you'd write some stuff. You know, we're thinking of doing, you know, having comedy in between music and stuff, which they yeah. weren't doing at the time. Mm -hmm. And I took her card and I turned to Dave, my husband, and I said, of course I'm not going to ring her. You know, because, like, I was too good for it. Oh. Or it was just radio. And, of course, I didn't really believe that. I thought it was too good for me. I was scared. Yeah that I'd write something for them and it would be rejected. And yeah. I can't believe that I never rang her up. And that's part, that's kind of madness. And that yeah. was like, well, I hadn't had any, that must be 25 years ago. And you just think, 
how thick can you be and also how little self-knowledge i had at the time of not understanding stuff about my own fear a fear yeah. of being rejected mm. you know being rejected that a sign of somebody wanting you was a sign that they were just going to reject you more badly yeah wow well, that's yeah. A, god we hate ourselves so much don't we oh sometimes my god. oh wow god that is that's a tough it's a tough one isn't it but it takes a long time isn't it it's not it's not quite it wasn't quite as i don't think it was quite as openly talked about of, of like you know the the steps you can take to stop that from happening and you're you know like you there's there's like um a support oh. Uh, and, and cognitive like behavior thank therapy, you I yeah, think. that's really. right you've got to hypnotize yourself yeah. and i think this lockdown's made me think about things that just not just comedy but everything mm. not mm. me and other people about how we we just get into these habit of believing ridiculous things mm. and never being able to get out of it yeah the loops we can constantly do the constantly you know um hitting a wall of something but you know i'm gonna keep walking i'm gonna keep running at that wall eventually i'm gonna oh. go through the wall oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like why am i hurting myself with that one wall there's a door here no i don't want to go through that door that door oh. th that's too easy that door i yeah. uh, just I, i've got the key for that they i always get through that door it's like oh it's so ridiculous isn't it you know and it's like and then you're like trying to get more people i know it's so ridiculous get more people people to like you hey what about the people that do like you already why don't you focus on those people yeah no but it's no <laughs> yeah. i love elven bitch as well uh, that is elven bitch yes elven that bitch. is such oh, a great God. name and it was like we had such a great um you know status relationship mm. because hester avon lady of the door she she was high status she was very elegant and of course she could play really well <laughs> i was like her sidekick mm -hmm. and we had songs about the dark donkeys and it was potentially brilliant but needed a bit of work great that sounds oh. great but what a, i mean that on a poster just pff, we're going to i'm going to see that that looks great yes well I'll, I'll send you a picture please do I will. You were nominated as well for Best Show at Buxton Fringe in 2016, right? Yes. Um, what is your What is your thing? You have you have that on your poster as well, but is there must have been a quote you pulled from that? What is on that? Was it your on your poster? It was um. It was, that show was my Soissons Mirth. Oh, Soissons Mirth, great. Yeah, I love that show. That was um, that was when I turned sixty, and the show was about meeting my younger self. I dug up lots of things. I found the novel I wrote when I was 10, oh, wow. which was written in made-up Chinese. Wow. With illustrations. And, you know, my younger self could accuse my my present self of, you know, n having let her down, not fulfilled her dreams, not having a pony. That was mm. the big one. You gig a lot in, in uh, New Zealand. Is that your favourite place to play? Yes. I mean, I went originally in 2017, 17? I think so, 17, yeah. 17, 18, 19, that's it. Because I had some very good friends who who were New Zealanders in London and I'd never been. One of them asked me to her birthday party. Mm. Yeah, I thought, ridiculous, going to a birthday party in New Zealand. And then I thought, yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to see if there are any gigs around. I think mm. I'd applied for the New Zealand Comedy Festival before yeah. you know, in a vague kind of way. So I just went, there were some very small... Well, they're big for New Zealand, theatre fringes. So I got my show booked into three of them and I went and did it. And that when I went afterwards, I just went to little tiny little clubs and stuff. But the first year, I kind of booked myself into their main alternative theatre space in Auckland and stuff. And they take it very seriously. Yeah. You know, they take it, all the concepts that I was doing, you know, they, they yeah. take that seriously. It's quite a nice surprise. Right. 
to have people listening to a show and kind of watching it so intensely, you know, like you're giving them a great gift. Appreciation. Do I find, if I don't know, this, I, this is just an observation. I was talking about the last few days and I think comedy is the only job, I think, where they kind of go, you're, you're an idiot in that country. Oh, we need a different kind of idiot in this country <laughs> that we've never seen before. And I was like, I've been thinking about this for the last few days. And I was like, I, I just, like, of course, it's like the people from America and, you know, they come over here and they might be just middling maybe in America yeah. and they come over here and like, oh my God, you're such a different idiot to the idiots we've got here. Please yeah, get on I, stage. <laughs> I love that. Well, in New Zealand, they're much more, they want to have a kind of moral lesson and a story. Great. And that's that's great, you know, because we've all got something like that to give. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right. It's very interesting that is is such a you know it's like whoa you're exotic aren't you? I mean, not saying that you know the show yeah. I'm sure is amazing as well, but it's like you have a just one a bit more cachet with the audience yeah. when you come from a different place. Absolutely, and it's so far away. Have you yeah. have you been to Australia or New Zealand? I haven't. My brother lives in Adelaide, but like oh, I haven't okay. actually been yet. But that's one of the things I need to do. Uh, I've just been hammering at the uh, fringes uh, locally, to be honest. But I need to. That's one of the things I need to do for sure. Yeah, I'm with the Melbourne, I haven't done a my own show there. I've mm. gone gone and done you know a comedy done a set there, and I was so kind of anticipating what you said about they need a different kind of idiot. And I had that kind of stereotype of Australians. Like, mm. I thought maybe they wanted, you know, lowest common denominator. They mm. didn't. They really kind of felt refreshed. And yeah. they were so hungry, kind of emotionally enjoying themselves. It's great. Oh, brilliant. Because I've just literally been to Australia on the way back for a week at the most. And you think it's so far away and it's yeah. such an amazing opportunity to go somewhere like that. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I mean, oh. I, I did a bit of traveling like last year, just like bef in 2019. I was like, I, I just love traveling, going different places and just seeing what works everywhere else. You know, yeah. it's just so fun to um, see what they're, you know, hungry for out there. Um, yeah. And just like, oh, you know, then you feel like, OK, it's bulletproof. It does work there. It works here. Great. OK. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes. Yeah, wow. so, uh, that's uh, that, I, that's definitely uh, New Zealand. I'd love to apply in, and maybe next year. Uh, Mary Burke was saying I should go do it as well. I might might just um, yeah. It's gonna she have to was be done. Uh, the first year that I went. Hmm. She we all did the Dunedin Festival and right. we shared a flat. It was really good fun. Great. And then she went back a couple. She's been back about another two years running, and she's really goes down well in Auckland. But I think that all of us should go for the New Zealand Comedy Festival. That's what I want to go for. Is I won't be going anywhere this next year. Hopefully we get through all this. I'd like to go for the Comedy Festival. A bit later in the year, it's their, their autumn. What a lark, so. Yeah. You seem like pretty buoyant as a, a person, Charmian. Like, what do you do when you get stressed? What is the thing you do the most you like to get I, out of it? I, I, I'm a terrible nail biter. Okay. I, or rather a kind of picker. I've always done that. I've had to, it's, it's kind of a, a lifetime habit I've been struggling with. When I, I don't really feel stress. I don't, I, I don't feel, I think because of my lifetime's motto of it'll do, I don't kind of, I haven't had like a deadline, a, a deadline that's kind of not on my terms for a long time. Mm. But I do, I get anxious. I get despondent. And I try and, do something that gets me out of that, something comforting, like you know, watch something on the telly, take the dog for a walk, have a cup of tea, or just, I've got into swimming oh, yeah. quite a lot recently. I'm not, 
a strong swimmer and I've always been quite scared of water. I didn't learn to swim till I was about 12. And I don't get like to get my head wet. Yeah. I never, I, so at the swimming pool, I never put my face in the water. I swim like a duck or swim <laughs> my head up. Yeah. But I do, I mean, like I went this morning, the pool is only open, the pool I go to because it belongs to a school. Mm. It shuts at 8.15. So I was oh. in the pool at 20 to 8 this morning. Fair play. And I find that, restores my spirits that's it you, and you're also like you've started the day you've done that exercise out the way you've yeah. fought you know you fought one demon as well you know that's great yeah yeah then i took the dog for a long walk i think it makes a real difference to try and do something one thing i did during lockdown too it started quite accidentally was i did a different outfit every day and i photographed yeah. it put yeah. it on facebook and then we turned it into a calendar nice and it started with me just taking a photograph of something weird I was wearing because it didn't match. And I got so many comments. I then went and did a different character every day. So, like, I have, I did a lot of people from the crowns. So I've got a mm. Princess Margaret. Great. I've got the Queen. Um, I've got a little sewing, a, a little waif, Victorian waif at a sewing machine. Yeah. I took more and more time on that every day throughout mm. november so it became quite obsessional that really cheered me I'll up bet. it's playful it's just fun you know you're playing in your life as well as you know your your career that's wonderful i'll send you a i can send you a downloadable version oh brilliant i'll, I'll, I'll print it off and i'll put it up do print it off i've told people to print, print them. lots of people ask for them I'm, i think if you take it to a printer it works out really expensive oh yeah and i'm okay. getting some done for my family but i think if you could just do it print it off good i really enjoyed doing it great so you're the second person I've spoken to in the last two weeks that has also performed in a prison. Was the other person Nick Wilty? No, it was huh? uh, Matt Price. Wow. Well, Nick Wilty and I performed at Wormwood Scrubs Prison to on the lifers' wing to people who were serving life. We did it through someone else who were did drama in prison. She's she did you know taught drama and organized operas and things mm. and so she got us to do the gig and at the time i think we had the cardiff three who were afterwards exonerated found innocent they'd been serving 20 years or something they were in our audience and it was a very uplifting experience except nick wilty noticed somebody in the audience he'd been at school with oh wow <laughs> that kind of stopped him dead yeah <laughs> um, but that was really good fun and then i once performed in the houses of parliament for the women's committee, the women MPs had their sort of club thing yeah. and I went and did it for them and they stared. I think they, they would never go to stand-up comedy or anything. It was like a new new culture form yeah. for them. So they kind of treated it like Shakespeare. Yeah, they were just being very quiet and, and polite. <laughs> well, they were very polite and they clapped and they, so they did. That's something when, when people don't know if they're allowed i know that sounds they don't know they're allowed to laugh yeah. and there really are audiences yeah. who don't know how to respond if they're finding things funny they think it's rude to make a noise yeah. so you know they they're very polite do you do corporates as well um, i have done a few corporates mm. but i haven't uh been asked to, to be honest i'd love to do some but i don't really i'm not an agent or anything i've never had one I'd say you go down very well because you're just so playful and silly in oh. any any situation, really. You're just like, well, how can you not like you? You know, it's oh, just... you're so sweet. I do get asked to do things like, in, in terms of corporate things, like menopausal woman day. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my crowd, or, damn it! Yeah, and I think I'll 
surely, surely yeah. I can be a bit more edgy than that. Yeah, I've got, I've got, some, I've got jokes, guys. I know it's like, <laughs> it's like we're talking about, like, um, you know, we we're saying before about, you know, how they liked you for your your, your trio, and it's yeah. like sometimes you know when it's going horribly because sometimes and, and they laugh they're laughing for the wrong reason mm. and and you just you take it per, you know, and you know it's not going as well as it could go but you you oh. won't accept that laugh because it's not the laugh that you want absolutely <laughs> or if they come up and say is it real yeah is it is it you know and yeah, that's it. uh or they want to to want to know or then i think the interestingness of the situation is has got above itself yeah. Because they should really only think about the joke. As long as they're right. laughing, isn't it? It's like, you know, you could, should, we should be able to just like surf that. Okay, you've got yeah. to laugh. All yeah. right, here we go. You know, like. <laughs> I, love that. I loved that place that we did that gig. By yeah. the Was it by a canal? That's right. It's a Fisheries Wharf Cafe. That's what it is. Yeah, that's it where it is. It was so lovely. It looks such an interesting place. It's lovely. I, I hope it survived. it survived. Mean, unfortunately, at the moment, that we, we're not doing any gigs. But um, I, I just before the lockdown, I started another gig in... Abbott's Langley and it was a it is a theatre and we tried to start up another one before second lockdown and it was a really lovely theatre space and so hopefully those two will start up again when everything starts kind of yeah. thawing oh, but good. um but yeah I'd love to have you down sure I mean you, they'd love you down there there's such a um a, a great to. crowd um do you live there not far from the fisheries but oh. 10 minutes from fisheries which is a wonderful thing it was a privilege to have that so close by um, and are you about to go into lockdown three two I, I'm, I'm not sure uh I'm not actually sure really to be honest I just it doesn't, it doesn't, day by day <laughs> yeah it doesn't Joe, I'm not going to lie to you it doesn't it doesn't really make that much difference to me to no, be honest no, um, no. like if I'm inside I'm inside and my life has been okay go to the shop okay now I've got to wear a mask going to the shop okay fine I, I also have to wear clothes that's not you know it hasn't made much difference and my wife works from home as well so yeah hibernate so, and use it creatively for I'm yeah. writing new shows and, and trying to do yeah. little bits of us. I've been doing some comedy videos with a friend of mine and we've done we've made about twelve of them now and Where will I find that? Oh, they're not out yet. We're gonna slowly start releasing them, but it's just it's just, you know, right. I've been working on loads of different bits and bobs, but anyway, it's like that. But anyway, this is about you. I want, I want one last question before uh, yeah. we finish up. Now I, this might be just um a self self explanatory in what we've talked about already, but I, I like to ask this question to every uh, comic I speak to. On stage there's certain comics would present themselves or they would describe themselves in a in a sort of way like a trade of some kind yeah. um like yeah, i mean this is this is a hard question so don't take your time to answer yeah, no, that's it. Okay, um yeah. it's just like I, I i like okay for example this is the old example i give sean mio describes himself as a gunslinger a hired gun right yeah so as a as a comic how would you describe yourself as like a, a trade or or you could, it could be a, any any job or, or or just a it could be even like a an animal of some kind or you know anything you th- like a well i might describe myself how one of my new zealand reviews describe mm. me as a, a mad auntie on acid great mad auntie on acid like... that's brilliant no that, yeah. that that is that is fine that that that's great i love it i love that description that's um oh it's it's it's, it's wonderful yes <laughs> because it, it's a very difficult thing to find a way of describing yourself and i think for a comedian if you can describe yourself very mm. succinctly that and for audiences, if they can see someone and immediately peg them, know yeah. who they are. That's right. And that's like when I was saying earlier, the difference between a comic who might have fantastic jokes yeah. and one who connects with the audience. Yeah. But might not their jokes might not be so slick. Is exactly that. That the audience want to know who you are. Well, I've been watching a lot of American comedy for the mm. first time, you know, quite intensely. I'm really learning that 
when you know someone who someone is you give them a lot more time to explain themselves and you get you trust them and you go on the journey you don't need to have joke 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 because you're kind of you've agreed to go along for the ride do you yeah. know what i mean absolutely you you've you've done the you've got the rapport set up just by yeah establishing who you are isn't it that's the one of the hardest things and so you'll wait you'll wait uh, and I, I can see that that in a way especially i don't know if it's a british comic thing hmm. that we've learned is that we want that kind of um we want a response quite quickly to so to to reassure ourselves we'll look at it like an american comic they'll they'll pace themselves like open their their book their their book of their life a lot more gradually and let the audience come to them. So yeah. who, who's your favourite one that you've seen do that? Uh, well, I'll tell you, because I've been working with, uh, there's a director called Amanda Baker and I did some work with her last year where she was, you know, kind of pointing out these things. So, I mean, I couldn't say, that I, I, for, it's a terrible thing for a comedian, but up until now, I haven't really immersed myself. But I liked, I've got a whole list of people. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't even, you know, Maria Bamford. Yeah, great. I'm looking at my list. You know, Louis C.K. Bill Burr. Of course. I had really, other than seeing two minutes of them, I watched a lot. Yeah. And it's the pacing. And yeah. the, they're almost like lawyers, the way they kind of develop their argument. Um, it. And it's kind of a different thing, really. But I really enjoy it. That's it. And inspiring is it? It's insp yeah, great for this lockdown. It's an inspiring way of of looking at our jokes because mm. another thing is I when I analysed all my jokes and, and lots of other people you think actually most of them could be defined as up and you know till a while ago of, of a surprise ending or a twist or oh yeah something. yeah and there are so many other ways of coming at things and also like American comedians they won't leave a subject alone until they've really wrung everything out of it yeah um, so lots to enjoy and I kind of like trying to apply a bit more in my writing of my material to get more more mileage out of each subject yeah that's it like you like rather than having bits have like you know yeah like, like here's, a funny bit. here's a funny bit do you like this bit do you like yeah. this bit do you yeah. like do you like me do you like me do you like me which is some um, yeah. yeah yeah it diminishing returns isn't it in the end isn't it like oh okay yeah, yeah that's it like how because anyone because as you said uh, this might be just self-explanatory it's like you know the more you delve into one subject the more they see who you are in looking at that subject isn't absolutely. it absolutely mm. and you know that's something i'm just learning all these years later interesting yeah. interesting yeah. is yeah that's great though but you know hey look you know it's still as i say when, when i saw you amazing loved it absolutely loved oh, it Sharmin. um what's the the next step in Sharman Hughes yeah. is comedy career. What do you do next? Yeah. What's next? The next step. Yeah. Oh, what's my next step? Yeah, your next step. Well, I've got to get go back to my last show to prepare it for New Zealand. And I'll probably do quite a lot of rewriting then, which is fantastic. So you don't normally have gone on to the next thing by now. So that, see what's going on, yeah. write some new material. Which I've got my new material meeting in about half an hour actually. Right. So okay. I'll type that up really just to keep on going and, and to, to see stuff, watch stuff, learn stuff yeah. and produce stuff and to monitor, you know, observe what I'm feeling and what other people are feeling all at these times so that I've, and it sounds a bit kind of pretentious, but so I've got some truths, <laughs> you, know. you know, to share or to, to observe. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's it. The real you. Show them the real you. Yeah. <laughs> and yes. what, what do you do? You write sitcoms and as well as that and, and like I other stuff. Actually, uh, we did when I was with Sheila. Um, you know, with the, we did the Pointless Sisters, and we did the yeah. thing about being lost on a desert island. We did write a sitcom for radio. Oh right. It was a time travel one. Right, great. And it did get quite far, but then somebody else came up with another oh, time travel one. Damn it. So they couldn't have our time travel one. I loved our idea, which was. Um, I live in Peckham, mm. Peckham Rye, which is meant to be one of the the sites that's proposed as the last battlefield of Queen Boadicea. Queen Boadicea is having her last battle on Peckham Rye, and one of her female messenger people mm. running to take a message for help falls down a wormhole and pops up in modern-day Peckham and has to kind of live with somebody in a council flat. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> it's like, it's like you don't understand. So it's like that kind of like, we don't understand who I am. Yeah, I am the messenger. And, you know, she had dreadlocks because she was an Iceni and everyone else had yeah. dreadlocks. Yeah, right. it was quite good fun. Cool, that sounds but, a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah, no, but they had some, you know, caveman thing going on. So, cool. huh. That's nice. If anybody's listening and wants us to develop that, just get in touch. Great. Uh, and where can we find you, Charmian? You can find me. I've got a Facebook page called Charmian Hughes Comedian. I'm at Charmian Hughes on Twitter and I'm Charmian Hughes Comic on Instagram. And I kind of gone off my website yeah. because it's, um, I need to do a new one really. I try to use more of the direct social media. That's where you can find me. Well, Charmian, thank you for spending an hour with me thank talking about comedy much. and stuff. I'm going to send you my, um, I'm going to send you my calendar to print off. Great. I will have that on my wall. I'm sure it will entertain um, me no end. <laughs> was it, I'll have thank that, like, you so much. No, was... I really enjoyed talking to you. Absolute pleasure, Charmian. A and, great pleasure. And I will, uh, I will hope to speak to you very soon and hope you get down for those gigs when they uh, finally pop up again. Lovely. Thanks so much. Pleasure. And that was episode 88 with a very lovely and incredibly funny Charmian Hughes. I did get the electronic download of that calendar which Charmian made and it was great. I have it and I'll put a post on Instagram of July's date for this podcast as well. She put everything into it. It was really fun to just turn to the next month and just see her happy face just doing some mental thing in the, uh, in the picture. But I'll put a post to that. It really did bring joy to my life. Now, you can find Charmian on all of the socials. She's there on Facebook as Charmian Hughes Comedian. Go and like her page. Go find her on Twitter as Charmian Hughes, as at Charmian Hughes. It's spelt C-H-A-R-M-I-A-N-H-U-G-H-E-S. And she's on Instagram as Charmian Hughes Comic. And if you look, just follow on all the socials and see where she's playing next. She's an excellent comedian. You will not be disappointed. It's just such a brilliant to watch the way she infects the audience with joy. It's great, honestly. Go and see her. You will not be disappointed. And that was episode 88. And next month we have episode 89 with a very funny comedian from Brighton, Joe Foster. He's absolutely excellent. I've seen him at gigs. Just rip it up. He's just brilliant. So I've had an hour-long conversation talking to him for next month in August. If you like this podcast enough and you want to donate, just go to Patreon, type in The Comedy Defect Podcast and donate as much or as little as you feel this podcast is worth. And if you can't donate, that's okay. Just tell your friends about your favourite episode because it tells people where we are and what we're up to. You can follow me on Instagram. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm there as at Winter Dominus. That's Winter, D-O-M-I-N-U-S. 
You can also find us on Facebook. We have a Comedy Defect Facebook page. So go and like that. And you can also join the Comedy Defect Facebook group where all the podcasts will be uploaded for you to enjoy. But that's it for this episode. Episode 88 was with Charmian Hughes. Next month, we've got an incredibly inventive comedian, Joe Foster, for episode 89. Now, that's it. Enjoy the rest of your July, and I'll see you at the end of August. <laughs>